Now, I invite you to open your Bible. Do you have your copy of God's Word? I hope that you do. And you'll find with me the seventh chapter today of Romans. We're in Romans chapter number seven. And uh, I encourage you to find that with me now, Romans chapter seven. And uh, we're going to begin with verse number seven. Romans 7, 7. What should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. But I would have not known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. And sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life again, and I died. The commandment that was meant for life resulted in death for me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and just, and good. Therefore, did what is good become death to me? Absolutely not. But sin, in order to be recognized as sin, was producing death in me. Through what is good. So that through the commandment, sin might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold as a slave unto sin. For I do not understand what I'm doing because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law, that the law, that it is good. So now I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me. But there's no ability to do it. For I not, do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil I do not want to. Now if I do what I do not want, I'm no longer the one that does it, but it's sin that lives in me. So I discover this law. When I want to do what's good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, taking me prisoner of the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me? From this body of death. Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then. With my mind. I myself serve the law of God. But with my flesh. The law of sin. Let's pray. Father in heaven I thank you for this word. And Father I thank you for the inspiration of it, for your leading the Apostle Paul to write it. 
And Father, how it ministers to our own souls and speaks to us today. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that, God, you'd have your way in our hearts, in our lives. I pray that we'd put aside everything that would distract us from hearing your word today. Right now, Father, intentionally, we set it aside, the thing that we're thinking about. Instead, we focus right now and say, Father, help us to hear you today. And to yield to you today. And to find hope and grace and life today. Lord, we need you. We run to you. Holy Spirit of God, we invite you to do business with our lives today. Confront us, convict us, comfort us. Change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 7 is, gives us great insight by the Apostle Paul to the deep struggle that all believers, even the most mature believers, have in their Christian life. In this passage that we're looking at today, it speaks to all of us as believers in Christ, but it also talks about our relationship with the law. It, it speaks about the law and, and sin and, and redemption and hope that we have in Christ, about the constant warfare and struggle that we face. It's about the, the new believer experiences in his life redemption and freedom and forgiveness and joy and freshness and hope in the grace of the Lord Jesus. But a maturing believer continues to understand the struggle with sin even after you've been saved. And this life is, this new life also has a struggle and a war. Does anybody agree with that, that there's still a warfare that goes on for us as believers? And it confronts us, this, this ongoing battle, and it's happening internally inside us. Romans 7 is about the believers, about the law, and about, seven, uh, about sin. In the sixth chapter, we understand that Paul is dealing with those who might think, well, now that I'm saved, I can just live however I want to. And since God's grace has abounded, and where my sin was was great and God's grace was greater. What if I just ignore the law and go on and keep on sinning because then God's grace would be greater and greater and greater. And he, Paul said, that's the stupidest argument I've heard in the world. <laughs> you don't do that. As a matter of fact, you've died to that old way of sin and you need to reckon yourself to be dead to that sin. And he says you can't live in licentiousness and sinfulness and that is uh, wrong. And so that is, and so Paul deals with that in Romans 6. In Romans chapter 7, he's dealing with this legalistic mindset that somehow I can live a holy life by keeping all of the laws. But Paul understands that that's not a right understanding either. Now, Paul talks a lot about law in this passage of Scripture. 23 times the word law is used in chapter number 7. But he wants us to understand that you cannot be saved by the law, but you also cannot be sanctified by the law. 
And so in Romans chapter 6, he reminds us that he says in chapter 6 that you, in verse number 3 and 4, he says that all of us have been baptized in Christ, were baptized into his death. We were buried with him by baptism unto death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in the newness of life. We don't go back and live the old life. In verse number six, he says, our old self was crucified with him so the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, that we no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who's died is freed from sin. Verse number 11 of chapter six, he says, we are to reckon, to consider, reckon, he said, see that you consider, reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. In chapter 6, verse number 13, he calls us to yield ourselves to him, to obey him. But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over. And having been set free from sin, you've become enslaved to righteousness. You have a new loyalty in your life. In verse number 19 of chapter 6, I'm using a human analogy because the weakness of your flesh. For just as you offered the parts of yourselves as slaves to impurity and greater and greater lawlessness, so now offer them as slaves to righteousness, which results in your sanctification. He said you've got victory in your life. You need to live victoriously. But chapter number 7, when we look at it, he gives us this instruction in chapter 6 that you've been set free. But chapter number 7 helps us understand, but there's still a warfare and a struggle within. Some have said, well, chapter 7 must only be about Paul's pre-conversion life. But when you read it, you realize that this is the struggle every Christian faces. It's a struggle with your old sin nature, a struggle within influences of sin, the struggle with flesh and desires, the struggle with failure, but also the victory that's found in Jesus Christ. So chapter number seven speaks to the very heart of us. Now the legalist sometimes tries to live a holy life and think that they can find sanctification by keeping a bunch of rules and laws and regulations. They have a list of do's and don'ts and things that they don't want to change they make excuses for. But Paul's not talking about sins. He's talking about the sin, singular, this operative force that's in the world and it's inside of us. And it's a real struggle. It damages us. And so today, we don't want to be pretenders. We don't want to be judgmental. And we don't want to be quitters. But we want to have a solid rock faith in the one who began a good work in us. We'll bring it to completion. Amen? Amen. So today, look with me in chapter number 7. In verse number 7 to 13, I think here, Paul is talking about the law and the unbeliever. Now look with me in verse number 7. It says, what should we say? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. There's nothing wrong or sinful in the law whatsoever. 
Paul is writing in the first person. It's autobiographical. He is speaking and telling us his own story. But his story is also the story of Adam and Eve. It's the story of the Israelites, and it's the story of every one of us. First of all, what does the law do? The law in in its relationship with the unbeliever is it reveals sin to us. Notice in verse number 7, it says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. But I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would have not known what it is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. The law is revealing sin that is in us. In chapter number 3, verse number 20, For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. Now, Paul gives his own autobiographical story in this. If you listen closely, he said the issue, how it was exposed in my life, was coveting. For it says, for example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had said, do not covet. And sin, verse 8, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. He says, once I was alive apart from the law. I, was, I, I thought I was okay. But when the commandment came, sin sprang to life again. And I died. Sin, the sin of coveting in Paul's life. Coveting is lust, illicit desire, a desire for what other people have, a desire for what is forbidden, lusting in your life for hidden sin or money or things or experiences or position or power or authority or respect. It's this lust in you. Sometimes it's sexual sin. Someone, it, it, sometimes it's about what somebody else has that you want. It's envy. It shows itself in envy and jealousy and discontent in my life. Something that, need, that I think that I need that will prop up my self-esteem. It's sin. That's why social media can be very dangerous. It hooks us. We see other people and we go, man, they've got a good life. My life stinks. Am I right about that? Are you all awake? (laughs) In Mark's gospel, chapter number 10, there was a rich young ruler comes to Jesus. He says, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said, I don't know why you're calling me good, but there's only one that is good. But you know the law. He points him to the law. And he said you shouldn't murder or commit adultery or steal or bear false witness or defraud. And you need to honor your parents. He says, I've done all those from my youth. Those are outward things and behaviors. But then Jesus looks at him, and he sees the problem. And Jesus said, 
but there's an issue here. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And the man refuses to do it and leaves Christ. Why? The issue was inside of him. Covetousness. And that covetousness and that desire for wealth or money or riches or power, while not visible outward, it was inward. And the real issue of the man's life, when you understand covetousness, is that you've made an idol of other things. So you've broken the first commandment as well, to have no other gods before me. And Paul realized that what convicted him as a young man was covetousness. And it was inside his heart. And as he understood it, he understood he was a lawbreaker. And he had failed at every point of the law. Here's what the law does. The law, law points out your sin. Secondly, the law arouses and awakens sin in us. In chapter number 8, 7, verse number 8, sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. He said, sin sprang to life into me and I died. The prohibitions have a way of awakening a desire to do the very thing that's prohibited. Isn't that true in your, in your sin nature and in your life? When somebody says, do not do it, you want to do it? It's in all my kids. It's in my wife. She's, she's not in this service. It's in me. When they put the sign, when they put out the sign that says wet paint, what are you tempted to do? If it says don't touch, what do you want to do? When you tell your children don't, go, don't do that, what do they want to do? I remember as a little boy, like six years old, maybe younger. We lived on a, on a, on a, a street that was headed out of town and it was busy with traffic. And people, the speed limit there was people drove pretty fast. And I remember my parents saying, don't cross the street. Well, when they weren't looking, what did the neighbor boy and I do? We crossed the street. Not only did we cross the street, we climbed over the fence. Not only climbed over the fence, we went down to the pond. Not only did we go down to the pond, we chucked clods into the pond and messed around in the mud. And when I came home, I didn't think they knew what had happened. <laughs> dumb, dumb, dumb. And of course, the questions begin, did you do this? Why did you do this? Did you not understand I said don't do this? Then there was a reckoning that took place. Sin comes to life in us and I died. There are, the wages of sin is death in us. Y'all are looking at me like you don't have problems with rebellion. We do. Don't we? You know, <clears throat> during this pandemic, 
All the rules and regulations associated with the pandemic has helped us see the sin nature that's in all of us. It's in me. The other day I went to the, go to the doctor and I, there's a big sign on the door. Mask required. Do not enter without a mask. And I thought, Lord have mercy. When are we going to get over this stupid mask thing? And I could just feel it boiling up in me. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And I just churning on the inside of me. So I had to go out in the truck and try to find my mask and put it back on and go inside. And I was trying not to have bad attitude. And I walk in. And there are other people in there that have masks. And they got bad attitudes too because they got theirs tucked underneath their chin. That's a chin mask. That's a whole new thing in our world where you wear the mask, but it's not over your face or your mouth. And so this is what sin does to me. Dead gummit, if I've got to wear this mask, you should too. Put it up over your nose and mouth and suffer like the rest of us do. That's how sin works in me. It makes me either rebellious and compliant or rebellious and legalistic about other people. It's sin hooking me. Either I want to ridicule it or enforce it, but it's sin. It arouses rebellion or judgmentalism. It's sin. And it condemns me. In verse number 10 and 11, and I died. The commandment that was meant for life resulted in death for me. For sin seized an opportunity through the commandment. It deceived me and through it killed me. It's not the law's fault, it's sin that's operative in me. The Bible says the, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And sin always deceives and sin always destroys. But listen, the law is not evil and the law is holy and good and righteous. And that's Paul's argument. Look with me to verse number 12. And he says, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and the commandment is just and the commandment is good. Therefore, did what is good become death to me? Absolutely not. But sin, here's the problem. In order to be recognized as sin was producing death in me through what is good so that through the commandment, sin might become sinful beyond measure. It's sin upon sin upon sin in my life. So the unbeliever becomes convicted of his sin and his brokenness and the magnitude of his sin. And that brokenness leads us to Calvary where our sin was paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. And we forsake our sin and we turn by faith in him. And that's where we find cleansing from all of our sin. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There's nothing else. For my pardon, nothing but the blood of Jesus. I have no ability on my own part. 
The second part of Paul's argument in chapter 7 is now the law and the believer. But how about us? Paul was in the first person past tense in that last few sections, uh, those verses, that chapter, that paragraph, that section. Now he moves to first person present tense. It's Paul, me, now, telling you my story presently. And listen, it gives you insight to the struggle we still have with sin. And I thank God for this passage of Scripture. It gives me hope. It gives you insight to the depth of the struggle. Every mature and maturing Christian, like the Apostle Paul, he was addressing carnality, disobedience, immaturity. He's addressing our struggle and our warfare that takes place every day in our life. And so the first thing he wants us to understand that there is a conflict on the inside of us. Don't you, don't you recognize with me, don't you agree with me that we're in a war? Amen. Notice in verse number 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, I am carnal, and I am sold as a slave under sin. He says, I'm in the middle of a fight and a battle. Verse 15, for I do not understand what I'm doing because I do not practice what I want to do, but what I hate. Verse 23, he says, I see a different law in parts of my body waging war. There's warfare, civil war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the members of my body, the parts of my body. So this passage is so helpful to us. It tells us about the conflict that we face internally and in our heart as believers. Let me ask you this question. You don't have to raise your hand if you want. Do you ever feel defeated in your life spiritually? Do you ever feel you're undeserving of God's love and grace? Do you ever feel that you're an imposter? And you're afraid others will see that I'm not really living it? Amen. Do you ever feel, come on, be honest with me. Do you ever feel like you take one step forward and you take two steps backward? Amen. Do you ever feel that you don't compare to others? That they're living the better Christian life than you are if they only knew? Do you ever feel like hiding? Do you ever feel like quitting? Do you feel like a spiritual loser? Nod your head. Yeah. So Paul deals with this. Now, there's hope in this, but stay with me because he, he, he shows you the dissonance, the, the strain, the stress, the conflict. Verse number 14. Why, why are we in this battle? Good question. Verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh. The deal is, the law is spiritual and right and true and from the Lord. But I'm a fleshly man, and I have fleshly issues, carnality. 
And he says, I've been sold as a slave under sin. What he meant was, not that Paul sold out to go live a wanton, sinful life. No, what he meant was, there's like an alien power that I've been sold out to. And this alien power, so foreign power in me, and that power is controlling me. It's influencing me to behave badly. It's a power where it's foreign to my will. I don't even want to do this, but I'm doing it. Does anybody ever do something that they didn't really want to do? Or if there's something you really wanted to do, but you're not doing it? And this is it. He says there's like an alien power in me. Notice in verse number 15, he says this is unapproved behavior. Now verse 15, look at verse 15. For I do not understand what I'm doing. Man, that verse would apply to me when I was taking calculus in school. Verse 15, I do not understand what I'm doing. Actually, if you translate this, I think, another way, you could translate it this way, and I think it's a right and proper and better translation. Verse 15, I think the King James says, I do not allow. I think it's the word approve. It says, for I do not approve of what I'm doing. The very thing that I'm doing, I don't approve of. I'm practicing what, I, I'm not practicing what I'd like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. Verse number 15 could be the golfer's scripture verse. I do not practice what I want to, but I do what I hate. I try and try to be a better golfer. I practice, I watch videos. I watch people that are good golfers. And then I think I have it right in my mind and I top it and shank it and slice it and I do what I hate. Well, that's not just my golf story. That's my life story. I was playing golf with Brad the other day who doesn't play golf very often and he said, Dad, I can see why people get mad in this game. Reminds me of a story my father-in-law, I'm going to tell one on him. His son Rich tells a story. He said, we were putting a roof on the house. And he said, when we were building it, and dad was up on the roof, and I was up on the roof with him. And dad wasn't a carpenter, and he doesn't have the best uh, hand-eye coordination. And we're trying to roof with the old way, using roofing nails and hitting it with a hammer. And you put those nails between your finger. And, you, and he kept hitting his finger with the hammer. And once you've hit it with a time or two, those fingers are barking at you. And Don, he said, I was watching Dad, and he hit his hand, finger with a hammer again. He threw the hammer off the roof. He's mad as a hornet, and he said, get down there and get my hammer. <laughs> it, was, it was that old nature. Of course, that becomes family fun around the table to talk about that. But that sin is in us. That wanting, that willing, 
versus the doing and how we do it. The next thing you notice in this passage, Paul says the issue taking place in us is there's like a squatter living inside of us. Verse 17 It's like this guy squatting, living inside of me. He says, for now I no longer am the one doing it, but sin living in me. I've got a a squatter that won't leave. And that's the old sin nature. And it has an end, it affects me. In verse number 17, he shows us the culprit in our life. What is the problem? Is it the law? No, it's not the law. Verse 17, I am no longer the one doing it. It's sin living in me. Sin drives me. Verse 20, he says, now if I do what I do not want, I'm no longer the one that does it, but it's sin that lives in me. So sin drives me, sin deceives me, sin damages me, sin discourages me, and sin defeats me. Sin is never good. The law is always good, but the sin in me, and that sin is ugly. Have you ever done something that absolutely... You thought, why in the world would I do such a thing? Can I be transparent with you for a moment? I was coming back from a mission trip, of all things, a few years ago. And on the way back into the country, I stopped in Detroit. And when, if you've ever traveled internationally, you know that when you go through customs and all of that, it can be, there's signs everywhere and people barking commands at you and you're trying to get your luggage and trying to get, figure out where you're supposed to go and you're a place that you're not familiar and, and, and I was tired and, and no excuses. And I finally got my bag and I was trying to get through the line and there were certain lines you're supposed to be in. I said, which way do I go? And, and this TSA agent barked out at me. She goes, we need to go, go to get them the right line. And so I, I got turned around. I started going to my left. She goes, no, you're other right. At that moment, I felt insulted. I felt it hooked me. It was, now, it's sin in me. And with a lightning fast tongue, I told her what I thought about her. And it was equal to a curse what I said to her. And I was ashamed. She said to an officer, did you hear that? And he came to talk to me. What do you do for a living? And I said, um, well, you won't believe it. I'm just a pastor. And I'm coming back from a mission trip. And I have no excuse. But if you'd let me back in that line, I'd like to talk to that woman. And I want to apologize. And he said, I'll take you. And I looked at her, I said, I have no excuse, but I'm sorry. And 
And with great humiliation, I left the airport. And the rest of that flight was from Detroit to St. Louis. And I said, sin lives in me. You see, my down deep desire, and this is why I believe that Paul is writing as a Christian. Verse 22. Listen to his real desire. My inner self, down deep in me, really, I delight in God's law. I want to do right, live right before God. But there's a battle. Do you understand it? There's a battle and that battle inside of me verse 23 I see a different law in the parts of my body waging war against the law of my mind taking me prisoner to a law of sin in the parts of my body it's a real warfare it's a real fight in the book of Galatians in chapter number five verse 17 listen to what Paul says now the works of the flesh, no, no, verse 17. For the flesh desires what's against the spirit, and the spirit desires what's against the flesh. These were opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. Tell your neighbor we're in a battle. So what's the comfort? I'm glad you asked. Verse number 24. And that leads Paul to say these words. And first of all, he confesses his condition. Oh, wretched man that I am. Amen. Now what does it mean to be a wretch? What's wretched mean? It means miserable. Profoundly unhappy, despicable, vile, miserable. Oh, wretch that I am. In me, without Christ, I'm a wretch. But he saved a wretch like me. And then he asked a question. Who will rescue me? Who will save me from this condition? Verse number 24. From this body of death. It's a longing question. Would you stop with me? That's the question we need to stop and consider. Who will set me free? Pause for a moment and then hear the triumphant call. Thanks be to God who gives me this victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus Christ. 
The victory is not in the law. The victory is not in your self-effort. The victory is in Jesus Christ. Jesus paid for all of my sin. Jesus knows all of my failure. Jesus paid for it in full. It is completely paid for. Jesus died the death I deserve. And Jesus Christ rose again powerfully out of the grave. And Jesus Christ lives in me. And that gives me the power to live a different life. And that's where my victory is. So what sets us free? Our praise band's making their way here, but two or three things I want to say. First of all, it's Christ's work for you and Christ's work in you. That's what sets us free. It's the work of Jesus. Secondly, the way that we are set free is that we need to be filling ourselves with the word of Christ. Amen. The word... Colossians chapter 3 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Amen. I'll tell you one thing. One of the ways that Tim walks rightly is when Tim is focused on Jesus and Tim fills his mind and heart with the word of God. Thirdly, stay in the fellowship of believers. Speaking and singing and encouraging one another in our faith. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Well, on that, on that I'm just going to hit on this for a second. Folks, worship attendance should never be optional. Amen. It ought to be priority in your life. A high priority Amen. in your life. And fourthly. Let the Spirit of Christ change you. The Holy Spirit has been given unto us. And as we receive the Holy Spirit in your life, we are led by the Spirit, changed by the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, obey the Spirit. And the Spirit is speaking in our hearts and our lives in worship in the Word. And it leads us this new power. Yes, there's this old sin nature that we struggle with. But greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. And he's the one that transforms our lives. And that's where we're going to get to in chapter 8. Amen. Amen. My time is gone. Has God done business with your heart today? Is he speaking to you today? Let him have his way. Yield yourself to him. Turn from your sin. Don't let the old devil. You know what the devil wants to do? He wants to take all your sin and your mess. And, and he just wants to throw it up against you all the time. So that you're ineffective. Romans 8, 1, which we'll look at next week. That there is therefore now, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. He has set you free. Amen. He has cleansed you. And he forgives you. Yes, Hallelujah. What a Savior. Father. 
Thank you for your word. It's powerful and true. It's transformative. struggle in this world of sin and our flesh but I thank you that God you love us you sent your son for us and you've begun a good work in us that you're carrying out the completion thank you God for your love in Jesus name Amen